We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% .9 of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro here for an off-season, heading into the preseason podcast with Derek Ciapala. How's it going, Derek? It's a wonderful day full of joy and cheer. Agreed, agreed. All right, so let's just get, get right into it. The first topic I want to discuss today is expectations for Todd Gurley this season. As As we all know, he was a dominant force as a rookie, ran for over 1,000 yards, won the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. 2016 didn't go as well. Uh, a lot of contributing factors to that, but he didn't cross the 1,000-yard mark, didn't even cross 100 in a single game. So, Derek, what are your general expectations about Todd Gurley and how he's going to perform going into 2017? Well, he's not part of a middle school offense anymore, right? No. Hopefully not. No, I mean, hopefully not. You know, hope we hope not. I mean, I you know, I think that I don't know what to expect because even though he was this rookie of the year, even though he had all these uh, accolades that first year, he only really had four great games. Um, that's where he got you know the massive chunk of his yardage, and so I don't know what to expect. I, I think that. Watching him last year, he looked he looked hesitant behind the line. He looked like, you know, he didn't know where to go. And a lot of truth is to that is there were no holes. But still, I've seen a lot of great running backs 
make holes for themselves. And that's not something he did last year. So I, I just I don't know what to expect. I expect him to be better than he was. I expect the Rams to use him more in the passing game. I expect the Rams to um, mix up their playbook a lot more, which will give him more opportunities. But I got to say, I'm not so sure what to expect from him. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic here, but you mentioned that four-game stretch, and it has to be noted that it's been 24 games total that he's played since that stretch. He's ran for 100 yards in a game once in those last 24 games. He's averaging 59 yards a game and 3.4 yards per rush, which is not good, but isn't terrible given how bad his stats were. But, and you mentioned that he wasn't really making holes for himself. That's true. He gets to, he has to shoulder some blame for that season last year. But, like we said, it was a middle school offense, and I'd say about, I would go out of the and say over 80% of the blame is on the offensive system, the offensive line, the lack of a passing game, just the overall predictability of everything. You know, great running backs do make holes for themselves, but, I mean, we could take Barry Sanders and Marshall Falk and just combine them into a lab and one running back. I don't think they would have crossed 1,000 yards on the Rams last year. Any time Todd Gurley touched the ball in the backfield, there was defenders in his face. It's almost impressive that he ran for like 800 yards. You know, it was just a mess. The defense could stack the box stack the box every possession because there was no threat of a passing game no matter who was that quarterback they knew Todd Gurley was going to get the ball and they ate him alive and as he didn't look as good as he did in his rookie season but part of that has got to be a mental aspect in that whenever he touches the ball if you got defenders in your face you're going to play a little a little timid you know not that he was playing scared but if you're going to hit every time and it's something that happened with Mark Bulger a little bit years ago. Is you're getting hit every time you touch the ball. It's going to be hard to get back into form. And I think with the addition of Andrew Whitworth, um, with Tim Barnes out at center, and hoping that some of these other linemen continue to develop, and hopefully Jared Goff and the passing game take off a little bit and just clear some room, I do have faith that he's going to get it back together. I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, this guy is a stud of a prospect. I I was comparing him and Leonard Fournette uh, earlier today in an article I'm working on, and Leonard Fournette in his final year of college, he ran for like 800 yards and eight touchdowns in seven games. Todd Gurley's final year, he ran for over 900 yards, averaged seven yards a carry, and had nine touchdowns in six games. He almost crossed 1,000 yards in six games in college. It... Last year is concerning, but he is just such a good prospect. And if you look at those four games he played in his rookie season, he looked like a mon- he looked like the next big thing. He's the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson, in my opinion. And I'm not ready to give up on this guy after one bad season, especially with a whole new system and everything. A couple things here. A couple things. First, you mentioned Barry Sanders. I make this very clear because I, I, I watched quite a bit of Barry Sanders. Um, he played on a lot of bad offenses. And he rarely, rarely, rarely ever was stopped behind the line of scrimmage. Okay? There are two different kinds of running backs. Um, Barry Sanders was a cut-go 
quick, you know, more nimble than Gurley is. All right. Gurley should be coming to the line, at least not taking losses. He took far more losses last year than he ever should have. And, and even a smaller back when he got caught, Barry Sanders didn't lose yardage like that in his, on his carries. Go back and look at Barry Sanders' film. You could say combine Marshall Falk. Well, Marshall Falk rarely did too. Gurley, as a bigger back, even with a faulty offensive line, should have been able to make something out of nothing on occasion. And he, it was, I don't, I don't, I don't remember really any plays last year where he did. And so that's what's concerning for me. You could talk about him being a project and so on and so forth. Try and compare him to Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette is a different running back than Gurley is. They came up in different offenses from LSU to Georgia. Um, and really what I think, for in, Gurley, in Gurley's case, though, Gurley was in much more of a balanced offense at Georgia. So, I mean, you just, to me, it's it's hard to really compare where they are as projects. I do have some faith that Gurley will come back. I just want to see how this offense comes together, and I really want to see where Gurley's mind is after last year. Like you mentioned him getting hit. It wasn't hit that much. Eric Dickerson in the 80s, you know, had 400 carries, got hit all the time. You know, other running backs, other feature backs, the same thing. So what is what is the mentality that Todd Gurley has coming into a season where there should be some kind of renewal on offense? Yeah, and I think, you know, he is still – he's a young guy um, – and when, when you do that good as a rookie and you come to your second year and there's just no holes, he should be making holes for himself. You know, he's got some stuff on him, but it, it does take a mental toll when you get the ball and there's just never a hole and the offense is just so bad and there's just it's almost hopeless as to where you can go. And, you know, we, we do talk about guys running back running backs with bad offensive lines and, you know, we've seen it with the Rams before. Steven Jackson still managed to run for eight straight 1,000-yard seasons behind pretty bad lines. And part of that is because he did have Mark Bolger, who you had to respect even when the passing game wasn't there. But it's still, if he could do it eight years in a row with very bad offenses, you gotta you got to expect more from Todd Gurley. And he definitely shoulders a lot of the blame. But I do think that the new system is going to benefit him greatly. And you look at what Sean McVay did in Washington. You know, Matt Jones isn't a... I don't think he's very good. Rob Kelly, he might be good. But neither of those guys are the talents, or even close to the talents of running backs that Todd Gurley is. So you have to expect that Sean McVay is going to have a lot in store for Gurley this year. And he's got to be ecstatic to have a guy like Gurley. Might be the best offensive talent that he's had yet. Well, that's even that's debatable when you when you've had like Deshaun, I'm sorry, Deshaun Jackson on your on your roster, um, but I do agree. I agree that we should see more from him. I just, I don't. I guess to to really kind of rephrase my case, I don't know what Todd Gurley's ceiling is this year. Where do we expect him to go from here? And we can't forget this person is you know Gurley's had has does have some wear and tear on his knees. And I don't know how that affected him um, coming back, you know, really a little early that in his rookie year from his ACL injury, going to his second year, you know, ACL tears take a 
take a toll on you laterally as you cut. So we don't know where his body is or where it's been, where his mind is. So what is his ceiling? I guess that's really a question that I, I'm not really feeling confident enough to answer. I think ceiling wise and, you know, this is not expectation. This is just, you know, best case scenario. I could see him running for uh, a thousand yards, maybe in the 10 to 1200 range and double digit touchdowns, just because I think we don't have a running back that he's going to get the goal line carries. Um, We have receivers in, you know, Everett and Higby that have red zone potential. And I think Josh Reynolds a little bit too, but no real red zone, no real reliable red zone targets. And I think when they're in the goal line, Todd Gurley is going to be the guy that gets the carries. And, you know, as we know, red zone offense almost gives me PTSD at this point because of how bad the Rams have been in the red zone in the past couple of years. So you would think touchdown wise, he's going to get his in the red zone, hopefully. And I think rushing yards wise, if the passing game is, if the passing game warrants being a threat, then I think that holes are going to open up a little bit for Gurley. And as we know, his rookie year, his, a lot of the chunks of his yards came on him breaking off big 20-yard runs. And when they have, when defenses have seven, eight guys in the box every play, they, there was no chance of him doing that very often last year. And I think once the receiving core, hopefully we get a breakout player or two, we get Goff looking like a real quarterback, I think those holes will open up a little for it. And if Gurley can get back that explosiveness he had as a rookie, which I do think is possible – it's it's not unbelievable to see him rush for over 1,000 yards. And as a rookie, he did get 1,110 touchdowns in just 12 games. So I think 12 and 10 is very realistic. But is that it? You, you're confusing me because you're, 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 you're talking like he's got all this, you know, he's, he's there, he's, he's going to make this happen. Um, well, that's ceiling, I mean, if it all goes ceiling, well. A ceiling is of 12 to me in the NFL after 16 game, for 16 games as a feature back isn't that high? And the Rams don't have Benny Cunningham backing him up anymore. The Rams don't have Trey Mason there, which we'll talk, be talking about here in a minute. Um, you know, they just have Todd Gurley and, you know, Lance Dunbar coming aboard from the Cowboys, who will be a third down back. You know, not going to be a bit, you know, to me, 1,200 yards in the NFL today is, you know, not a real huge accomplishment. It's not really. You, you, you're wanting someone who can, at a ceiling, lead the league in, in rushing for a person who's supposed to be a girl's caliber. And you hear you say 1,200 is a ceiling. That's that's actually a little bit disappointing. Well, it might be higher, but um, to be fair, only seven backs ran for 1,200 yards last year. And all seven of them, except maybe you know Jay Ajayi, they're all elite caliber running backs. I mean, David Johnson only ran for 1,200 last year. Granted, he was a lot more involved in the passing game, but I would, yeah, you know. But, whoa, 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 whoa. but you're, you're talking about it. You just, you just described, you just described this man as the best running back, running back prospect to come out of college since Adrian Peterson. You're, you, that's what, that's how you, you talked him up. You know, that a top seven being 1,200 yards, he, you know, his, he should be capable as that kind of prospect of being 13, 14, 1500 yards a year. But yeah, so okay. talking, I probably was low ball. So 
I mean, so so then let's go, let's go again. What is your real ceiling on him then? Where do you think he can go in this Redskins offense? I would say, you know, absolute ceiling, maybe 1,400 and maybe like 14 touchdowns because I just, I don't think they're going to run the ball enough to get him more than that because um, you need to get Goff. Goff needs to throw the ball and McVeigh threw the ball a lot in Washington last year. And I think that for him to get to 14, it would have to be a lot on Gurley to really break big plays and bump up his uh, yards per rush. And we just mentioned Trey Mason, too. Um, the Bleach Report today has a, a new article out, and that one's quite interesting in terms of where Trey Mason has been this year. It's an um, article written by Tyler Dunn, and this title, Do You Believe in Trey Mason? And, and if it's it's interesting in that they actually went and found the guy. He found Trey Mason down there in Lake Worth, Florida. Um, he's at the beach. He's chilling out. And it's the idea is they're going through Mason's you know history from March 2016 on, and all of a sudden he's not in Rams camp. Okay, and the question being, you know, what happened with him? His mother viewed him as being somebody who, you know, had kind of mentally lost it. He was a wall from Rams camp, but this and this is where in the article it gets really interesting. He goes after the Rams pretty heavily. Um, the quote done says he was he was a wall unresponsive needed help at least according to the then Rams coach Jeff Fisher who said the team tried to reach Mason quote numerous times but that he made quote a decision not to communicate with us nor to talk. The Rams Fisher said then were for were more concerned about Trey Mason's well being than his football career. And Mason replies, "How would they call it nowadays? Fake news." Oh, we just hope he's okay. You come to Florida and you find out, Mason says. Fly your ass down. Sit next sit next to me right on this beach. Eat some food and you'll see. You tell me. I'm not going to sugarcoat for nobody. If you're really that worried about me, fly your ass down. So Bleach Report found him. That's what they did. They went and, quote, unquote, flew their asses down. Um, and he basically attacks the Rams as being a clown show that he felt betrayed by the Rams for drafting Todd Gurley and that he was marginalized. The, the coaches promised him X amount of carries uh, and then he'd sit all on the sideline all day Sunday, you know, getting three or fewer, three or fewer carries in seven games. So Mason made the decision to just not go to camp among, among other reasons here. Where do you even go with this? I mean, it's a pretty long and in-depth article on Mason, but even at the end, um, as the article closes, it kind of depicts, you know, he depicts Trey Mason as being a bit uh, flaky. He's supposed to make a call back to Tevin Homer cornerback for May, uh, for Washington supposed to have a conversation three hours past Mason's no-show um, he says later his phone is dead um, he's just not dependable for anything and that's how he's depicted 
I think they can agree the Rams offense was absolutely horrid um, last year. And it could, we could probably agree that the Rams have run the organization for the last how many years pretty pretty close to how Mason would describe it as a clown show. But how do you, how do you feel about Mason Mason's words in, in terms of the Rams making promises to him? Um, and you know that's the reasons why he's not going to camp, etc. Yeah. So if we're assuming that, you know, if even if the reports of his mental troubles were exaggerated, as he says, if he had a bit of mental issues, obviously, I think the drafting of Todd Gurley would have taken a toll on him, just because. Yeah, that does. Even though I think that they would play very well together, I think they would have blended off each other well. That's tough on Mason because they really kind of did commit to him the season before. And then, you know, after that, it was kind of it for him. And they didn't use him as much as he probably would have hoped his sophomore season. I do think that he is a lot to blame because, yeah, they maybe the Rams should have came to Florida and seen how he was doing. You know, that's a... That's a fair assessment by Mason, but at the same time, why don't you get in touch with the team and tell them how you're doing? You know, it's a double-edged sword. I think there's blame to shoulder on both sides. Um, as for Mason himself, it does kind of surprise me that he's completely out of the league right now. If, you know, if he really is in good shape, you know, the guy's got talent. I don't think his career should be over. Uh, it's just... You know, it's a tough subject to break down and really uh, I'm not sure what to make of all of it. I think that there's definitely blame on both sides. I think, as you said, the Rams have been kind of a mess, and I really do think they kind of just gave up on Trey Mason, um, which I'm not sure that I totally agree with. But when you had Gurley and you had Cunningham to back him up, maybe you didn't, maybe you weren't as concerned with Mason as you should have been. Let me ask you a question. Let's just say that you are brand new to the workforce. You get a job at McDonald's, right? Okay. And you work there for a while. You do well. And then somebody else gets hired and your work performance goes down. You get And you get moved to a lower position on the organizational chart. Okay. To the point where, you know what, you just decide, I'm not going to deal with this crap. I'm going to just leave and not come to work. I'm going to leave and come to work. Not going to work. So upon hearing from you that you left your previous job and why you left your previous job, do you think another employer, a Burger King, for example, would want to hire you? I'm not sure if the comparison is fair because um, do I have the, the, the upside that Trey Mason has in the, the fast food industry? You know, I mean, I get, I get it, and the answer is probably no. I'm, just, I'm, I'm keeping it simple right now to say, you know, I look at this as an employer-employee relationship. Okay, you can bash the Rams all you want on this if they didn't go out there and and, and personally talk to someone that they invested serious money into, and see, you know, what's going on. That's on them, and they should be held accountable for that. But hey, that but let's not underestimate what Trey Mason did. And what Trey Mason did was tell his boss in 
in a muted way, F you, I don't need to be around you. I'm just not going to come to work. Oh, I totally agree with that. I think he shows okay. a lot of the blame. Yeah, so if, if that's the case, you know, and the other 31 NFL teams are aware of that, why on earth should they go out of their way and knock on this door and see if he's going to be any different now, especially since he had all these other issues going on, especially since he's, you know, risking his life doing popping wheelies in the middle of the road or whatever else he was doing. Well, why I just, should they take that risk? I think that the risk of bringing him into training camp isn't isn't high on a non-guaranteed contract. And as you said with the work example, you know, if I was a Burger King owner and I brought him in for an interview and he seemed, if he seemed good, I'd be like, well, maybe we'll give you a shot for a month or so. And that's what bringing Mason into camp would be. It, would I give him three years guaranteed money? Absolutely not. But I think I think an unguaranteed minimum contract to let him show up to camp, see if he's committed, see if he can deal with you know being a secondary or third running back because he's not going to be a starter anywhere. And mentally, if he's okay with that, he st- he was a good player as a rookie and in college he was. You know, I think his upside is worth giving him a chance. I wouldn't. I would want to talk to him first, and I'd want to see where he's at. Um, and like I said, I would not guarantee him any money at all, but I don't, I think he, I don't think he did enough to not warrant getting another shot, but I do, I can see a lot of NFL teams feeling, you know, spurned that he just straight up stopped showing up to Rams camp. I could oh, it's a I red definitely flag. see that. Yeah, I definitely see that. It's sorry. a red flag. You know, but hey, don't forget this too. In Gurley's, in Gurley's first year. Okay. Who started off the year as the feature back? Yeah, no, he had his chance. He had his chance, and he played horribly. He had an offensive line that actually had improved itself for that season. The numbers on the offensive line um, during the 2015 season were actually very solid. There was no reason why, you know, why you know Trey Mason couldn't have been a higher performer on the field. He didn't perform. Gurley replaced him. We have a much different story going on if, if Mason held up his end of the bargain and performed to the level he was supposed to perform. I think you and I both could say, you know, when this draft went down and Gurley was, was taken, thinking, wow, we can have Trey Mason and Todd Gurley on the field. We have a perfect one-two punch right there just to wear teams down there. you got two different styles. There's no reason why both players can't get equal carries. And yet, the attitude here as well, I didn't like how last season went, so I'm not going to camp. Yeah, it's, you know, you're right in the professional aspect. You, you can't just not show up. And he did have his chance. And I think, yeah, he probably felt a little spurned by Fisher when they drafted Todd Gurley. But, yeah, you they could totally play together. And the Rams are basically bringing in Lance Dunbar to do what they would have expected Trey Mason to do, except probably less carries. You know, if best-case scenario, Trey Mason comes to camp committed and willing to be on the team, if you had Trey Mason in what Benny Cunningham's role was last year, that'd be a home run. It'd be a great one-two punch in the backfield. He shouldn't have felt as betrayed and, you know, him not showing up to camp at all, especially if he was mentally in a good place and just chose not to go. That's almost even more of a red flag than if he had a problem. 
Well, it's and it's a business. We can't forget that. Yeah. You know, this is a business. You you have to run an organization like you business. You cannot, you know, stick with a player just purely out of loyalty. Because if that happens, then you're going to have really really bad football teams all the time. One of the really interesting things going on, um, well, not going on, but one of the interesting things I've seen in the NFL, especially with the Rams over the years, is what has happened to players once they've been released. There were a lot of people who were not happy when the Rams didn't re-sign Steven Jackson. But Steven Jackson didn't exactly do him do very well in Atlanta the next year, did he? Nah. Or how about James Laurinaitis when the Rams released him this last offseason? And he went to the Saints and didn't do much of anything. You know, the Rams, I think, and any NFL team, have to make a decision as to where a player is in their career and what kind of future they have with that franchise. And if Trey Mason couldn't even come to camp, how are they supposed to really have a role set for him? No, and he should not be on the Rams ever again. You know, that bridge is burned. But, yeah, I do think that there's still a good player there. And I think if I was a team that needed, was looking at backup running backs, I I would at least bring him in for a conversation and see where he's at. You know, yeah, it's a business. Yeah, he should have shown up to camp. It's undisputable. But the NFL, for the most part, is in the business of giving players second chances. Sometimes even more than second chances. People have done worse things than... Trey Mason and came back from it. I just think that if nobody ever even gives him a call, it's it's kind of crazy to me. He's still a young well, guy. Worried about his mentality. You're worried this guy is nuttier than jar of peanut butter. That's what you're worried about. Yeah, and that's why you you, know, I would bring him in to talk. It, it's so, I you know it's it's tough reading that article. You don't, you don't ever want to read an article that casts a poor light on the team you cover. Or one of the players that you know, he he really did have all the potential in the world to be a thousand yard rusher, and be even even be more than that. And now we're we're wondering if he'll ever play the game again, or if um, in terms of will he be signed? Can he ever be a starter? Can he do anything again? And it's just sad to hear. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with Trey. Um, and, and we'll link the article in the description of the podcast so you guys can find it. Next on the docket, I want to talk about the Tremaine Johnson situation heading into camp. So Tremaine Johnson is set to be the highest-paid cornerback in the league this year. He's been franchise-tagged back-to-back seasons. Uh, what What's your read on – just what are your general thoughts on this situation right now and how it's been handled and where it's going to go from here? I think the Rams painted themselves in a pretty big hole with Johnson. And now that they were kind of forced to bring him back under the franchise tag, I think they should have focused on re-signing him a year ago to a much more favorable deal. And now with fewer options, because they let Jenkins go and they let, they let, you know, they let, they let Ronnie McDonald go. And they let TJ McDonald go. You know, your secondary has issues, and it's going to be a concern for us. You know, we'll, we'll, they can think, well, we have EJ Gaines. We got, we got Webster from Denver. Jeez. Ah, I, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a problem that won't solve itself right away. I think, you know, 
beginning to expect that Tremaine Johnson will be a, uh, be no longer no longer be a Los Angeles Ram next year, and we need to expect to see the Rams take a a cornerback early in next year's draft. Yeah, this is one of the more poorly handled situations of the Snead era, I think. Well, you know, last offseason they had a choice. Uh, Janor Schenkins and Tremaine Johnson were free agents. We knew they weren't going to keep one. They chose to franchise Johnson and let Jenkins walk. Jenkins got a pretty big payday. And, you know, we were all pretty okay with that. I think I was more on the Jenkins team, but I was not in the majority there. Um, but now you look at it, uh, Johnson regressed last year. We haven't put a long-term deal with him in place. And on top of all of that, we've paid him more money than we would have paid Jenkins last two years. And the whole thing was that Jenkins got too much money and that we were going with the guy who could get a little less and get a little more out of. And we haven't gotten more out of him, and we're paying him more money, and we're pro- you know, I see no world where he's on the Rams next season. I just well, Steve, you think yeah. there's a chance? Well, no, I don't. But I'm going back and thinking what you're just saying that he regressed. He didn't necessarily regress last year. He became the number one corner. He was the number two corner before. He was in a different situation. No, no, no I'm not nothing drastic, but not, maybe not regress. But he didn't improve. If that's fair. Yeah, if we're talking about fantasy football, then you can say he regressed. But you know, he. He wasn't put. He was put in a position where now you're you're playing against every team's number one re- receiver. You're not always going to have, you know. You're not you're you're not always going to have those poor throws that oftentimes will come more to the second option. The first option usually gets the better throws because that's the first look on their progress on the quarterback's progression. So now, I just see Johnson as a, still a solid corner, but I don't expect him to get the same interception rate that he got before. I think it's silly to think that. He's not even really that, you know, as I, I just, oh, geez, I, the truth is he's, is he's never really been a shutdown corner. He's a good corner. He's not a franchise corner. And that alone is going to tell you that the Rams are going to need to move him because he's, they can't pay him that kind of money. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, regress, this is a strong word, but I think we can agree he didn't improve at all. Yeah. And when you give a guy a franchise tag, you're you're more betting on him to get better. Well, yeah, if you're going to franchise a cornerback, that cornerback better be a shutdown cornerback. And that's not what he was last year. And that's not even what he was when he led the league in interceptions. Okay? He was a cornerback who got his hands on the football. He's a cornerback that did a great job of disrupting opposing receivers. But he's also a cornerback who wasn't disrupting number one receivers. So, you know, that's it is what it is. The Rams put themselves in this position. Uh, I'm just hoping that they have, you know, will will we'll rectify this for next year. Got to yeah. deal with it for this year. And you really got to hope that EJ Gaines um gets back into form a bit and can help balance out the secondary cuz there's a lot of questions in the secondary. There's questions at safety. There's questions at cornerback. I I do think that the front seven with Wade Phillips coaching them, I think they're gonna cover up a lot of the flaws in the secondary. But there's a lot of there's cause for concern here. There's a big cause for concern, and we'll see how Joyner transitions into his new role and all that. But they're gonna need a lot from Johnson this year and Gaines as well. 
Well, don't forget, don't don't forget, Kayvon Webster sitting there too. And we had, you know, yeah, there is um, solid work coming out, of, you know, from Denver that this was a person who could be a starter in this league. So let's see, you know, how he pans out as well. And it may just be a simple case of we already have the replacement for Johnson on the roster, and he just needs to prove himself. We'll, we'll see. And, yeah. and if worst comes to worst, the second the second round is there next year for the Rams to take a corner. And you can usually find a pretty decent one in that second round. So th- that's what I got to hope for. Yeah, and every year we kind of talk about how there's no depth or they're missing somebody. And every year somebody, in a way, is, has stepped up. Last season we saw Moore Alexander. Uh, you know, there's always guys on the roster that surprise us. And Did you say Lamar Alexander? No, I said Mo Alexander. Okay. <laughs> Not that off base. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we'll see. we'll see what happens there. So the Rams have a new neighbor in town, the Chargers, formerly of Los An- or formerly of San Diego, now the Los Angeles Chargers. They will be sharing a stadium in a couple of years. So with this move, you know the Rams. Ha- there's going to be a battle for Los Angeles in a way because when the Rams came back, there was a lot of buzzing about them from the old Rams fan. They had a built-in fan base. Uh, the Chargers don't really and so there's not as much buzz but at the same time i feel like most of the non-ram fan base in los angeles hasn't fully committed to being a rams fan and if they tried last year uh they know what being a rams fan is like so it would how do you see the fan base splitting up how do you see loyalties and do you think that the on-the-field performance of both these teams is going to have an impact on which team the city favors. Well, I think there's, I think there's three main points to bring to that. One, this team from the get-go, the Chargers from the get-go, went on Twitter, went all over social media, and proclaimed this to be a battle for LA. They took this seriously from the moment they got there, and they knew they had to. It took it seriously. They're going for it. They are going to try and win over this city. They have a they have a franchise quarterback in place who's been exciting for his entire career. They have talent on both sides of the football. They're going to play more of an open game than the Rams did last year. So they they kind of laid down the gauntlet right away. And and also quite frankly, right now they have the better uniforms. They have their their standard dark blue and yellow, but they also have the powder blue, those legendary, you know, legacy uniforms. You want to call them, you know that that's really kind of make up what the franchise is. That's that's the first point. They, they took this seriously from the get-go. The second point, for the Chargers, yes, they left San Diego. Yes, they left their old city, but I, you know a lot of fans are going to stay with that team. They're not that far away. Charger fans will go up to LA to see games. They will bring some of that flavor up there. I, I don't think that all of a sudden those folks in Southern California who were Chargers fans has stopped in, in a majority, you know, because I can tell you that because as a Rams fan, I didn't stop being one when the Rams moved to St. Louis and definitely I'm still one now, even though they, they uh, are back in LA. And so I've always been with the team and loyal fans will be loyal fans. And there's a lot of blend to go around that San Diego situation anyways. And the third point I want to make is this, the Raiders. The Raiders moving to Vegas 
brings that team even closer to L.A. And it was already a large Raider fan base in L.A. So the Rams don't just have the Chargers, which is taking uh, who are taking this this situation seriously. Now they also have the Raiders moving closer, and now it's an easy flight over to Las Vegas, or even a, you know a solid drive to Las Vegas. And the Rams have their hands full. They blew it their first season. They had every opportunity to 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 make make their mark in L.A. and they absolutely blew it by putting a horrible brand of football out there um, with some of their marketing failures and even their uniform issues. The uniform issues itself, how on earth can you not work out a deal uh, with Nike in the league to to get the right uniform out there? And now they're going, they're ignoring the fan wishes and going to blue and white, which is nice looking. It's better looking than the old St. Louis colors, but it's still... And it's still the mostly way. the St. Louis colors on the jersey, which is they're kind of yeah. just in like no man's land here with that. Yeah. So I, I, I just don't see how the Rams are treating this like it's a war. And it is a war if you want to win this city over. Just today on on Twitter, a former uh, St. Louis journalist, and I, 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 Shane Gray, and I mean that seriously, former, because he would isn't one now, not by a long run. He he used a quote from Tom Flores, a former Raiders coach, talking about how L.A. fans are fickle. I don't agree that they're fickle. I think they're smart. And I think they're not going to put, you know, cost living in California is expensive. And you're not going to put your money into, your money or your time into an organization that isn't worth your money. You know, it's the same for any any, and it should be the same for any team anywhere. I may be a Rams fan, but you're not going to see me spending money on them if they're not going to be willing to put back into the organization and make that organization special. Yeah, and you know, right now, like as you said, the Chargers have Philip Rivers, who is a big name and still in his prime, and you know, the Rams probably have a much more exciting defense, but. Offenses make more stars, and um, people are more attracted to stars. You know, Aaron Donald is probably one of the three best defensive players in the league. Mo- most fans still know who Philip Rivers is, and a, a lot of more casual fans probably don't know who Aaron Donald is. And you need those offensive stars, and they have Rivers. Melvin Gordon came alive. Uh, Keenan Allen is a bit sneaky slept on. Because uh, of his injuries, Mike Williams is going to be back. You know the Rams have a lot of guys too, and I think if the Rams' offense doesn't really explode a bit this year, and if they if they just don't come out looking good, and the Chargers do, people people are going to start to pick sides this year. I think it really is a war, and he, he mentioned the Raiders too. They're they're going to have a decent amount of fans that are going to travel to them in Las Vegas. And now the Rams and the Chargers do have time before the Raiders get there because they have a couple years. But this is a huge year for the Rams. And, you know, they need to not only be good on the field for themselves, but to bring fans to them and make this really their city. Because, you know, a lot of people didn't like the Chargers room, but move, but you're right. You know, they're only moving a couple hours up the road. They have fans. And they might get more depending on what happens this year. I mean, if you if you are the L.A. Rams 
PR department. Okay, and you are moving to that city. I will be reaching out to every media outlet, including Rams Talk, including other ones that po- have popped up after us that I, you know, of course won't name here, um, and trying to get in touch with them and work with them to help get the brand out. I'll be I'll be going to every organization possible um, that has some kind of presence in the community and saying. Look at our star, Aaron Donald. I'd be sending Aaron Donald out everywhere. I'd be sending Robert Quinn out everywhere. I would be sending out Todd Gurley everywhere to represent the team. And we've seen a little bit of that, but you know, why aren't we talking about Aaron Donald like we would talk about a Philip Rivers in LA? Why is that happening? You should be talking Aaron Donald's face should be all over the place. And that's why I think they're blowing it. That and that outside of not winning on the football field, they're blowing it because you know, you're going to have Johnny, little Johnny, age seven, going to school, and you want to, he's going to be picking up who his football heroes are. And when the, whose face you're seeing right now, you're seeing Philip Rivers. And you're seeing, you're seeing the Chargers saying, it's the battle for L.A. What are you seeing from the Rams? Are you seeing? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. And you're seeing, you know, the Raiders. These Raiders fans in L.A., their families are coming up there, and they're in Going out the games and no, no, still and, and that's still there. You're seeing Derek Carr develop one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So, you, just tell me how on earth are you trying to win this market over? Because quite frankly, it's a failure. Yeah, you know, on the field performance makes stars most of the time. But you know what else makes stars? Media narrative. We've we've seen this in politics the entire year. We've seen this everywhere. You need to get your guys into the media. Aaron Donald is, you know, I would say the second best player in the NFL, and it's not that big of a gap, but people would think it's a huge gap. I'm saying on defense, sorry, I think I said best player. But, you know, if we're going to say J.J. Watt's the best and Aaron Donald's second, I think it's close. No no casual fans are going to think it's close because they hear about J.J. Watt all the time. And they don't hear about Aaron Donald that much. And people in L.A. should be hearing about Aaron Donald all the time, like you said, because he's a potential generational talent on their hometown team. You know, this guy and is a beast. You're talking about LA. You're talking about the number two media market in the country. Yeah. And yet, you know, wh- where's he at? Where, why isn't he all over TV? We should be seeing – he should be – the ranch should be getting him, pushing him on national TV. We should be seeing things on him on ESPN. We should be seeing him pushed on the NFL Network. We should be seeing all this stuff. And we're not. We're not. We're not. You know, where are they focusing on out there? The uniforms, again, they go back to the – I keep going back to the uniforms. How on earth are you still in St. Louis colors? Yeah, no, I agree. And um, they should have returned to the old colors when they returned home. I think there was some contractual stuff that wouldn't let them. But it's weird to just be going to the, the white helmets now. Um, we just look like – the we're just going to look like the Colts. Um, and, you know, like you said, it's L.A. You know, there's a reason in the NBA right now why Lonzo Ball has so much hype and Markel Fultz hasn't got as much hype, and there's also a reason why Lonzo Ball was the second pick because he's not as good, but the media narrative is getting everybody talking about him. He plays in a giant market on the Lakers. You know, the Rams need to take advantage of their market. They're in L.A. They have star power. You know, they have... Got, they have 
the number one overall pick from last year at quarterback. They have, you know, Todd Gurley, who is a big name because he's on offense. And they have Aaron Donald, who should be a bigger name. He should be one of the more talked about defensive guys. And, you know, outside of football analysts and Rams fans, you really don't hear that much about him. And the Rams need to take advantage of how good he is. Well, and, and don't forget this. We're talking about just, just to go back to the uniform thing. So I think we're missing a point. We, contractually, you're bound to that uniform. Okay. But you know what? Money talks. And if the Rams are willing to spend, and they did, they spent over, they're spending over $600 million just in the relocation fee alone. If you're willing to spend that kind of money to move to LA, you better be willing to spend some money to invest in LA. You know, you should be able to spend some money to get movement on the right uniform. And I get what they're doing. They're, they want to wait until they move into their new stadium. Oh, wait, that new stadium is going to cost like $2.6 billion. So, again, you're investing now over $3 billion into L.A., and you're not willing to spend a little bit of money to get to to, to get an exemption made for that contract. Something it isn't, it's not, It just sounds like lazy work to me. Money talks. You could there, there, a deal is there to be made if they really wanted that uniform, um, the proper uniform, the yeah. proper colors on the football field. Yeah, and their uniforms just look weird now. Like I don't hate them, but <laughs> it's just like I would have rather them just stuck with the gold. You know, I'm I think I'm one of the only people that actually likes the navy and gold. I think they should go back to the old colors, but like I'd rather have an actual consistent color base than just have the white helmets and then just random gold stripes in the jerseys. Like, it's well, just changed. Navy... It's changed for the sake of changing, I think. Well, the Navy in gold is a decent uniform. I, I, you know, there's a lot of their fans out there who have a problem with that. It's not, it's not a bad uniform. But there is something special about that old royal blue and, and marigold, that, that yellow. And it really needs to be in the uniform to it just it just separates the Rams from every other team in the league. No other team in the league has that color scheme. You know, it, to you're you mentioned it looks like the Colts. Sure it does. Because that's the same exact color. In the uniform in the end won't be that different. If you go back and look at the old pictures of the blue and white, they weren't that different from the Colts. They weren't. The blue and white does look clean. I'll give them that. The the logo looks much cleaner now too. But it's the Rams were were the blue and gold as they left Cleveland and went to and went to LA the first time. They were blue and gold through most of their tenure in LA. Um, they are even blue and gold for some time in St. Louis. That that's the that's what they need to be. Yeah, I agree, and um, hopefully. They switch to the blue and gold before they go full in on the blue and white. Because, you know, they have... The one thing they have going for them is they have an iconic helmet. It's one of the more iconic helmets in the league. And, you know, keep it with the colors. The blue the blue and gold are pretty iconic as well. The blue and white is kind of iconic for a different team, not us. <laughs> <laughs> So no. let's, let's let's just recap this a little bit then. So we're saying, look, listen, get your stars out there. 
get your stars out there, get your Aaron Donald out there, you know, and get your uniform out there, right? Yes. Yeah, get the get get the marketing and get you know, and even like I was just saying, get involved with these other outlets. Even a turf show times, you know, all those all these outlets, big and small, that cover your team. You really because this is a battle. No city in the NFL has a battle like the like the battle for LA right now. Because you essentially have three teams now battling for fans. Not two, three. Yep. And the last point, and most importantly, be good. Yes. Because that's what really gets you fans. Win football games. And if you can't win the games, at least be exciting. At least give fans a reason to, to want to come back. So if the Rams struggled defensively this year, at least have an offense that produces. And if the Rams still struggle offensively, at least be just be better and have a defense that just makes you want to go watch them. You know, be better. Um, don't be a team that lays it down like the, like the team did last year. Yep. And, you know, you they should be doing all those things you're saying, but on, on the field players really does it. I mean, nobody gave a shit about the Clippers for 40 years, and then they were the talk of the town for a couple of years. Just out of nowhere because they were good and fun to watch. Yeah, you know, and well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say they won't give it. You know, what about the about the Clippers? But I would say the majority of the casual fans. They, would say. they definitely played second fiddle the Lakers, and even to a degree now, the Lakers have been horrible. But they still play second fiddle to them. You know, this team is this city is not as as fickle as people make them out to be. But there is a a, a a niche to make in LA and that niche for, for pro football, you know, once you get a niche in that team, it's hard to come back against that. It's hard to go from a, you know, it will be hard to go from a pro chargers town to a pro Rams town. Okay. You need to establish that now and not hope and not hope to make a ground later. Yeah. Well said. All right. Well, that's the thing. It's all we have for this week. Um, a little bit of a lively episode here. Yes. Um, we'll look forward later this week to uh, for our, our comrades in arms, Norm and uh, Johnny, to make an appearance on the podcast. They'll have their own episode later on this week. And again, look for us to come back next week. We're going to look at fantasy football and whatever else is going on with the team. Yeah. We will talk to you guys soon. All right. I guess we could say it. go ahead and uh, go Rams. Yep. Change the <laughs> uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, everybody. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.